Christian life. Um, it's my privilege to introduce to you our guest speaker this morning, Austin Royal. No few of you already know who Austin is, but for those of you who don't, I do want to just introduce him to you real quickly. Uh, he is the Reform University Fellowship, RUF, campus minister there just down the street at Austin P. And RUF, one of its distinctives among many good, other, many good uh, campus ministries, not just at Austin P, but around the nation, is its mission statement. And its, its simple statement goes like this, reaching students for Christ and equipping students to serve. Now, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound unique, but it, in many ways it is, in particular, this, this point, and it's critical. The equipping students to serve, not just those four years that they're college students, but equipping them to serve for a lifetime, such that this is one of the most strategic things, and I don't mean to sound crass when I say that, one of the most strategic things, the partnerships in ministry that we can have is coming alongside our RUF campus ministers and prayerfully and financially supporting them, considering who it is that they are reaching and equipping. So, awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Uh, it's really good to be with you this morning. <clears throat> As he just said, <coughs> excuse me, my name's Austin Royal. Uh, thankful to be here with you this morning. Uh, if you would, flip in your text to uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14. Titus is at sort of the end of the New Testament, right before Hebrews. Uh, and this morning, we're going to talk about grace. And um, I'm actually going to read this whole passage, even though we're just going to focus on chapter or verse 11 through 14. But I want you to realize what comes before this glorious proclamation of God's grace, his love, his redeeming love, the ways that he moves towards people. Um, I want you to notice who he's addressing, what he's saying, uh, the different types of people he's talking to. And I want you to think about this. Uh, when a child asks a parent, why? What do you usually say? Uh, when a child says, why do I have to do that? Uh, do you eventually end up saying, because I said so? Because God never does that. He always gives you good reasons for why. Why he's called you to something. Why he's asked you to do something. And every other religion in the world says, if you obey God, he will love you. If you change, God will love you. And the gospel is the exact opposite. It says God's love will change you. And until you realize the grace and love of God is what will change you, you're not going to change. And so with that, I want to read the whole uh, chapter of Titus 2, and we'll specifically focus on 11 through 14. But as for you, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, 
so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing all good faith, oh, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Why? Because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we uh, encounter your word, uh, and it's beautiful and it's hard, uh, but it's always good. We need to know your grace, Lord. We come to you in our unrest and our arrogant pride. We come to you and we need to sit at your feet humbly and find rest for our weary souls. And I pray that we would this morning. Uh, Speak to us through these words of Paul and Titus, that we might know your grace and might be transformed through it. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many of you know, uh, for the last uh, couple months, my wife and I have been renovating our kitchen. And uh, we started doing this this summer. It's it's a big project. it's almost done. Uh, we have a working kitchen. Uh, it's, it's pretty. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and painful at the same time. Um, but if you didn't already know this, when you rip out your kitchen, um, and there's not anything there anymore, it's just four walls of nothing, you quickly realize that the kitchen is the most important room in your house. Uh, it's hard to live without it. I mean, think about this. You can go and put a cot or an air mattress in the middle of your kitchen, and you can sleep just fine. You can't go cook a meal in your bedroom. It won't work. And there's many reasons for that, but the kitchen is the host of so many things. It, it allows things to function that no other room in the house can. Um, so, for instance, if you have a gas stove or if you have an electric stove, uh, there is a massive electric wire connected to your stove if it's electric, or there's a gas line connected to it, and it is only in the kitchen. And you can't just simply move it to another room. And so you can try to plug your stove in in another room, and if it's gas, it will turn on, but it won't heat up. It won't work. Uh, you can try plugging your dishwasher into your bedroom, but no water supply is going to get to it. It, it will turn on, and it won't do anything. It won't clean. It won't wash. No water will get through it. It won't drain. It's useless. And so you can have all these fancy appliances all throughout your house, and it won't matter. You can look like you have a kitchen, but you don't. Um, and, and here's the problem with that. Um, I think for many of us, we're trying to do Christianity without the kitchen, we're trying to do Christianity without the heart and soul of our homes. We're, we're trying to plug in like our prayer life, uh, our Bible study life, our church life, in all the wrong places. 
we're, we're not connecting them to Jesus. And more specifically, we're not connecting them to the grace of Jesus. Uh, you are dependent on him and his grace. Um, but here's the thing. For, for about two months, we lived without a kitchen. And you know what happened? I got used to it. We made it work. Uh, our refrigerator, this beautiful new refrigerator, was the centerpiece of our living room. Uh, you walk in, and you, you see this stainless steel refrigerator, and it looks good, and it's shine, bright and shiny. But you know what? It wouldn't put ice out. It wouldn't dispense water because it wasn't connected in the kitchen to the source that it needed. Um, we had kitchen cabinets in our bedroom sitting there. And so this one's for us. Like, we, we can do all these religious things, all these spiritual things, and not be connected to Jesus, and it doesn't matter. They're not going to work the way they should, which I think is why uh, maybe you ask yourself, why do I do this? Why do I go to church? Why do I try to pray? Uh, I don't have any joy. I don't feel the love of Christ. I don't feel connected. Why do I keep doing this? And, and maybe the problem is you've never actually tapped into the source that's going to bring you life. The grace of God found only in Jesus Christ. That's the center of the gospel. Uh, you can't understand God's love. You can't understand his forgiveness unless you understand grace. And here's why. You, you and I, we've been trained to not just believe, but to know through experience there's no such thing as a free lunch. Someone always pays. There's always strings attached. Uh, we've assumed, we've learned through relationship with other people that you're loved by what you bring to the table. You're loved uh, by your performance. You're loved by your accomplishments. You're loved by what you can do. And, and the gospel is different. The grace of Jesus Christ is different. He invites you into relationship with himself. He invites you into relationship with God, and he says, I'm the one who's going to do it. I think a lot of us, we're trying to do Christianity without the kitchen. We're trying to make a home without a kitchen. Um, but grace specifically found in Jesus Christ is what makes Christianity distinctively Christian, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. There's three points. Uh, grace that saves, grace that trains, and grace that waits and works. Uh, if you look at your text, look at verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Uh, grace appeared and brought salvation. Now, what, who does that sound like? What does that sound like? That's it, Jesus. The, the grace of God found only in Jesus Christ came out of heaven, showed himself to the world, and brought life, salvation to all who would believe. At this point, i got to define what grace is. Uh, uh, a commentary writer named uh, William Hendrickson says this, Grace is God's active favor, giving the greatest gift to those who deserve the greatest punishment. Uh, another way to say it is, grace is unmerited divine favor unmerited divine assistance. It's unearned goodness, unearned blessing, unearned favor. Um, and it's the unearned part that's important. 
Because every other religion in the world says you have to earn it. You have to earn it. And the gospel is different. It says you can't earn it. Uh, one of the classic kind of grace illustrations, you, you're probably familiar with this, but it comes from Les Mis. Um, Victor Hugo's uh, musical, some of you probably read it, some of you probably uh, watched it, but it, it's a story about Jean Valjean, uh, this criminal who's been in jail for, uh, I think, 19 years. He was a thief. He tried to escape multiple times, and finally they released him. He's marked as this ex-con, um, been in jail 19 years. He's on his own. He's angry, frustrated, and this bishop finds him in the streets and invites him into his home and feeds him a meal uh, and allows him to sleep in his house that night. And uh, in the middle of the night, Valjean wakes up and steals all the bishop's silver and runs off. And then the next scene, it flashes to the next morning. And uh, these policemen have found Valjean. Uh, They're assuming that the silver was stolen. They come back to the bishop. They say, look, look who we found and look what he has. Uh, And in this moment of just lavish beauty um, and goodness, uh, the bishop says, the silver was a gift. You, You have the wrong guy. Uh, he didn't steal these things for us. It was a gift. In fact, not only uh, was the silver gift, he, he forgot the candlesticks. And he goes and gets, you know, the most expensive thing in his house and gives him the candlesticks. He says, release this man. It's okay. This was a gift. And it's in that moment you realize what grace is. This, this remarkable gift of, of sacrifice, of forgiveness, of atonement, and further blessing. And you know what happened? It, it changes Valjean. He becomes a new man. He begins to look and live differently. It, grace doesn't just save you. Uh, Romans 5 tells us this. Um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So uh, grace forgives Um, It cleanses your debt. Uh, But later on in Romans 5, it says this. uh, God reconciled his enemies to himself. And what you realize is sin and guilt, all those things, lawlessness, what the text says later on, like that makes you an enemy with God. And his offer of salvation isn't just to forgive you, it is to invite you into his family what the text says in verse 14, so that he would call you a people of his own possession. He calls you treasured possessions. Grace doesn't just forgive. It invites you to be a treasured possession of God. And look at the text. Who is it for? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. No one is out of the reach of grace. This this isn't saying, oh, everyone's going to be saved. What it is saying is no one is out of the reach of God's grace. It doesn't matter how bad you are. But here's the thing. No one is in a position where they don't need God's grace. It doesn't matter how bad you are, you need grace. It doesn't matter how good you are, you need grace. You need the grace of God. And so the question is, what 
what keeps what keeps people what keeps you from um, coming to God for His grace? Uh, I think there's a lot of things. One is it's kind of hard to believe. Again, you you learn that you have to earn things in life, and this is saying nope, you can't earn it. God just gives it. Uh, I think another thing is is we're we're pretty independent, autonomous people. We don't like to be dependent on something. And so when we hear, oh, it's just freely given, somehow in our minds we think, nope, I've got to find a way to work for it because I don't want to be dependent on anyone else. I don't want to submit to God. I don't want him to be the one who controls my life. Uh, Another thing is, like, along with that is pride. Um, But also our own goodness. The fact that we think we're pretty good people, that that keeps us from grace. Um, I often have conversations with students, um, whether it's in a Bible study discussion or individually, where they are willing and ready to admit, I'm a flawed person. Like, think about it. It's pretty foolish to say I'm perfect. It's pretty foolish not to admit that you have flaws, that there might be something in you that could change. But in the same sentence, they're very quick to affirm their own goodness. And if you think about it, like, it kind of makes sense. But if you look at it on paper, a willingness to say, yeah, I could probably change. I know I'm flawed, but I still think I'm okay. It doesn't really make sense. And so what, what's, what's going on? I think, I hope this helps. Um, I, I was driving through Nashville a couple weeks ago, um, and I came across this billboard. It was a Geico billboard. And it said this. Do you like saving money? And my response to it was, yes. But I like to spend money, too. Uh, Do you like saving money? Yes, but you know what? It it often feels better to to spend it. Um, And in the moment, what feels better? Well, I'd rather buy what I want. Uh, We kind of know in the grand scheme of things... Uh, it might be better to save your money. Oh, but in the moment, we always want to spend it. And what you realize is that there is this tension, this tension of competing desires in your heart. The question is, do I want to save money or do I want to spend it? Um, I want to be an honest person. I want to be a person of integrity, but it's just so much easier to cheat and get by. I want to tell the truth, but lying, it just, it it makes the consequences seem like they're not a big deal. Uh, I want to be hospitable. I want to help new people. I want to welcome new people, but I'm tired. It's just so much more comfortable to do things with my family. I want to have a godly, pure relationship with the opposite sex. I want to love my spouse, but I love watching porn. I love daydreaming about being married to someone else, the possibility of an exciting affair. You have competing desires in your heart, and you need the grace of God to penetrate those things and meet you where you are and say, I will change you. God, and this is what you have to realize. God is so much more concerned about you changing than you are. You realize that? God is so much more invested in you changing than you are. But it's also, you've got to realize, if If you are a Christian, if you have received his grace, you should be hopeful. 
You should be hopeful for change. You should know that you can change. You can grow. Um, you don't have to stay the same. And it leads us to the second point. Um, grace that trains. Grace is this unmerited favor. You cannot earn it. Unmerited goodness flowing into your life. Um, and God doesn't just save you and say, okay, you're on your own now. Like, get to work, be holy. Uh, I'll see you in heaven in 40, 70 years, something like that. Um, no, he doesn't leave you where you are. Uh, and what it's called in the Bible is sanctification. He wants to make you holy. He wants to make you like his son, Jesus. Uh, and it is by the work of his grace. It is not by your work only. It's by the work of his grace. Look at verse 12. Grace comes in and saves. And then verse 12. Grace of God appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Notice what it says. Uh, it trains you to renounce ungodliness, and it trains you to pursue godliness, and it does it right now, in this present age. This is not a future thing. It's going on now. It was going on yesterday. God's grace in your life teaching you, training you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. There's a negative aspect to it, a saying no, and there's a positive aspect to it. Um, and here's the thing. This, this is what you need to realize. The gospel is a double gospel. That's one of my, one of my friends puts it. The gospel is a double gospel. You are saved from something, mainly condemnation, death, slavery to sin, hell but you are also saved for something, mainly resurrection life, living the life of Christ now, saying no to sin now and yes to righteousness. And so when you become a Christian, it's, it's kind of like this. You, uh, this is my best shot at it. You, you, give, you, uh, you decide you're going to hire a physical trainer. Um, you know your diet tendencies, you know your workout tendencies, you watched it for years and years and years, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse, and you've gotten to the point where you're desperate. You can't do it on your own, you know it, and so you go to hire a physical trainer, and you hire your physical trainer, and he, he begins to lay out all these plans. Um, Y'all have a meeting, he's like, okay, we're gonna do this, this, and this. You're walking through uh, the gym, you're seeing all these cool, uh, equipment you've never seen before. You're getting excited. Like, I can't wait to do that and that and that. I can't wait to run a five-minute mile in like three months. Um, and you go in for the first day, um, and he starts talking about nutrition. And he's like, you, you can't eat at McDonald's anymore. Like, you can't eat chicken nuggets and Big Macs every day of the week. Like, it's not going to work. Okay, so you're like, okay, I can stop do that. I'll, I'll just go to Wendy's. Um, and, and, and that becomes the mindset. It's like, okay, I'll give that up, but I'll, I'll go to Wendy's. Um, and, you know, that goes on for a couple weeks. And he's like, wait a second, wait a second. Like, you, you're not getting the point. Like, it's not a switch from McDonald's to Wendy's. You are becoming vegan. You, you signed up to become a vegan, which means McDonald's, any fast food restaurant is not on your radar anymore. Uh, you're dead to those things. Chick-fil-A is off the list. Um, and then 
y'all start doing your workouts, and instead of you jumping on this awesome, shiny new piece of equipment, he takes you to the pool. And he says, jump in the pool. And you get in the pool, and he just begins to lift your leg up over and over and over and over again. And what you begin to realize is that this trainer has observed your life, and he's realized the way you walk, the way you run is wrong. The way you've done it your whole life is wrong. And you don't just reverse that in one day. You need your trainer every day to show you over and over again, lifting one leg and the other leg, one arm, the other arm, to show you this is the movement you're supposed to go in. This is what it looks like to be patient. This is what it looks like to love someone. This is what it looks like to extend grace. This is what it looks like to serve others with a loving heart and not to manipulate them and get something back from them. And, and so you realize you're not running a five-minute mile anytime soon. You're, you're simply trying to learn how to walk straight. That, that is grace training you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and training you in self-control and loving God and pursuing righteousness. Because you don't do that. God is so much more concerned and invested in you living that way than you are. And you need him every day to train you in the basic steps of this is what it means to walk as a Christian. Grace trains you in the present. And it only comes through Jesus Christ and his grace. And so here's the question. Um, where, where places God, through Jesus and his grace, calling you to change? Where, where's grace weeding out old habits, negative habits, worldliness, uh, and planting positive seeds to take root and to grow and to flourish, grow into a flower? Um, you know, maybe some of the things you think of, oh, I'm, I'm impatient. I get angry sometimes, frustrated with my spouse and children. Um, maybe you think about lust. Uh, uh, maybe you uh, think about the way you carry yourself. Proud heart. Very easily judgmental. Um, I think maybe, maybe a good question to ask is, when was the last time you let Jesus challenge how you were choosing to live your life? When, when was the last time you actually let him challenge a decision you were making? When was the last time you let Jesus challenge how you actually spoke to your children? In the moment, you let him challenge you. When was the last time you let Jesus challenge what you consumed? What you consumed with your eyes? What you consumed with your mouth? What you consumed with your time? When was the last time you let Jesus challenge what you consumed with your money? See, those are the places uh, where godliness and ungodliness are at war with each other. It's the places you live every day of your life. And we have a God who says, I am training you to walk with me and to walk closely with me. And that means saying no to some things that you love. These competing desires, it means fighting against them. And so, it, this, this is not a call to go on a witch hunt. You need to realize that. This is not a call to go on a witch hunt. I've covered all these little things in your life because the reality is it's a call to connect to Jesus because when you connect to Jesus, 
when you see him clearly, when you begin to walk with him to rest in his love, moving from unrest and arrogant pride to humility sitting at the feet of Jesus, he will change you. He, he will show you those places very quickly because you will realize how beautiful and wonderful, how servant-hearted, how patient, gracious, and loving he is, and you will recognize, I am not that way. I need a Savior. I need to be redeemed. He calls us into relationship with self. He calls us to set our hearts and lives into the middle of the kitchen, connecting everything there, plugging into the kitchen, all our Bible studies, all our lives, like prayer, everything connected to him because he knows that is the only place you're going to find life. It's the only place you're going to change. Let's just to the third point. Grace, grace that waits and works. Um, grace, it helps you hope. Uh, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works. Uh, grace helps you hope. Hope in what is worth hoping for. Uh, and again, here's the thing, though. Right in the middle of this, uh, we, we bump up against an, another huge tension in our own hearts. Trusting and hoping in the promises of God, the promises of his grace, that this is actually real, uh, and our own cynical, hopeless hearts. As we look around the world that we live in, and we think, how could this be true? It's just like the Geico commercial. Uh, do you want to save money? Do you want to spend it? Uh, do you want to trust God? Yes. But I want to be a realist too. And we look around the world, and you look around our country, and you wonder about all these mass shootings. You wonder about all the hate and anger you see, whether it's on Twitter or in the news. Uh, you look around at cold, broken marriages where there's been lying and backstabbing, and you wonder, how can that be redeemed? You, you look at the future of the church, and you wonder, what's life going to be like for my children in 20 years? And you become hopeless and cynical. Maybe you look at your own soul, and you see darkness. You see something just marred by temptation, barely fighting for life and light. And you think, how could this be real? Um, listen to this quote uh, from Scott Hubbard. He works for Desiring God. He, he says this, When we welcome hopelessness and cynicism in the name of reality, we are not being realistic enough. When, when you say, oh, this is great, Austin, like grace is great, uh, but I'm a realist, you're not seeing reality clearly enough. And, and how can I say that? Because uh, Scott, in this article, right, he goes on to say, um, to actually move towards the heart of reality, you have to see the God of hope who runs the universe, who created the universe, who knows every thought you have, who says, I will walk with you and be present with you. And you have to realize that he's the God who overcame a cold, dark tomb that he laid in for three days and he rose from the dead bringing resurrection life, overcoming death, bringing hope. 
hope that change might happen. Hope that change could happen. Hope that it will happen. And they're, like, you can trust and know that because the text says, who gave himself for you. Our hope is that the Lord of the universe who overcame death gave himself for you, that he might change you and transform you to be his child, not simply so you can be in heaven with him for eternity, but so that you will walk through this life with him, this cold, dark, easy place to find hopelessness and cynicism, that you might invite him into your home, live with him, plug yourself into him. If, if you try to find a home in religion and you avoid the kitchen, it's never going to work. If you do not plug yourself into Jesus and his grace, you are always going to be angry, demanding, self-righteous. You're never going to be gracious. You're never going to love anybody. I'm going to close with this. Uh, how, do, how do we actually do this? How do we make sense of this? How do we let grace train us? Um, Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says this. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation, because God's at work. It is 100% God, and it is 100% you. It is 100% reliant on his grace. You need him. Um, I have a two-year-old daughter. She's awesome. Uh, her name's Lindley, and she loves to help me water plants. I like to garden, and this is how it goes. I have this water container, and I grab it, and I walk it over the hose, and she's like, Daddy, I want to help. Um, and so I say, okay, and I turn the water on, and then I pick up the hose, and then she grabs the hose, and we move it towards the hole, and we pour the water in. And then we pull it out, and I go and turn off the, the faucet. And then I go pick up the water container, and she picks it up. And we walk down the hill together, holding the container together, and we go and water the plants. And you know what she says? She says, Daddy, I did it. And, and she's right. She did. She did everything I was doing. She grabbed the hose. She poured it in. She grabbed the container. She carried it all the way down. But you know what? She could never do that on her own. Like She has to have my strength. She has to have my will to do it, or she cannot do it. But she knows if she wants to water plants, she comes to me. You, you have to go to Jesus if you want to pursue godliness, if you want to change, if you want to love people, if you want to love the people closest to you. And it, this is the thing about grace. Grace is unearned and unmerited. Um, who in your life has fully earned your love and care because they're so devoted to loving you, they're so compassionate, they're so respectful, they're so grateful to you? It's, anybody? I mean, you think about it, no one. If you really think about it, no one's that way. No one has earned your love, which means you can either choose uh, to fake love, which quickly turns into passive aggression, 
it, it, it quickly turns into quick tempers, impatience, anger, or you can actually begin to love people that are hard to love. And that's what you got to realize. The gospel will not make sense to you until you realize me, you, everyone in this room is actually hard to love. We need a savior. We need grace. The thing is, when you realized God in his love loves you, God came out of heaven to die on a cross because he loved you simply so he could be with you, that grace begins to change you. And it sends you out into the world, and you no longer live for yourself, but you live for the God who is gracious, which means you are called to be a person who graces other people. You are someone who graces other people. Unearned, unmerited favor. You do that with your friends. You do that with your family. You do that with your spouse. You do that with your children. Um, Because you have received grace, you are someone who gives grace to other people. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your loving kindness, and we thank you for your grace, Lord. We cannot comprehend it, um, that you would invite us into your family, uh, that you invite us uh, to be near to you in spite of our ungodliness, in spite of our worldly passions, in spite of the things that we run from you. We want to run from you, and yet you pursue us. We thank you for making enemies your children. We thank you for grace uh, that saves us and also challenges us. Lord, I pray uh, that we would allow you to challenge us, the decisions we make. Uh, and may you be good to us, Lord, um, in changing us and molding us into the image of Christ so that we might actually love the people around us. We might actually show them your loving kindness. Uh, Lord, give us much hope in the fact that you are good and you will do these things in our hearts. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Lord's grace, he calls us to respond to him as we're made to.